0: Welcome to Beyond Clinical Medicine with a Don't Teacher in Residency. I'm Rob Strauss, Team Health's Chief Medical Training Officer, and this podcast is another in our critical series on COVID-19. As of this moment, there are over a half a million cases worldwide. Italy and the US have the most active cases, and the numbers are still growing dramatically. I couldn't be more pleased to have with us today Dr. Matteo Paganini, he is an emergency medicine physician and consultant in the Padova region of Italy, very near ground zero. He completed his residency at the University of Padova and works in the Veneto region in a rural emergency department where he also staffs a pre-hospital EMS service. Dr. Paganini also performs research in the physiology of extreme environments and the at the Research Center for Emergency and Disaster Medicine, how appropriate! Welcome, Matteo, and thank you for all that you're doing.
1: Thank you, Dr. Strauss, for inviting me here. It's a pleasure to share my experience and anything that could be helpful for your colleagues over over the sea over there.
0: That's that's terrific. And first, before we get started. Um, Thank you again for what you're doing. How are you doing and your family and your friends?
1: Yeah, I'm doing pretty well. So uh, physically, I'm okay. I feel very uh, strong now, maybe psychologically tired because it's a huge thing that is going on out there. And my family is doing pretty well too. So I, I feel a little bit relaxed about that relief better. And most important thing, uh, I'm sorry to say that but I, don't, I don't see my fiancé since three weeks because of the lockdown, And but she's doing pretty well too. She's an OBGYN resident in Verona, uh, 70 kilometers away. So when everyone is feeling better around me, I, I can work better. I hope to do so for the next
0: future i totally understand and <clears throat> i'm sorry for what you and so many others are going through and i do know that uh dr costa was going to join us but i believe he's been hospitalized uh as well with fever cough and uh and some shortness of breath is that correct
1: yes he was admitted some days ago so he, he was not able to join us now i hope he is i think he's doing pretty well i texted him so i think that in the next day he will be uh, relieved by the, the all the stuff the problem is obviously as you will see that uh, we still don't know how many days apart from the literature of course how many days uh, someone can step back and come back to work. I hope he he comes back soon.
0: I certainly hope so and please wish him well for us. We look forward to him uh, on a a future podcast. Uh, So Italy has been ground zero for some of the most severe exposures of COVID-19 and with an extraordinary number of fatalities. What have you personally had to deal with?
1: Okay, I, I will talk about basically the, mm, the perception I had and my, um, my experience with uh, the first stages of the disease. So first of all, I want to talk about awareness because I, I had to deal with uh, like a dream. I remember the exact moment in February when uh, I was commuting to work that night and a friend of mine, I hadn't texted him since four years or so long. He called me saying, Matteo, are you okay? I've seen everywhere newspapers, TV now, there are two COVIDs in your uh, uh, district. Oh, oh my God, really? Okay. So the first thing I did, uh, starting my shift, was gathering all the personnel and say, okay people, the virus could be here. So let's raise a little bit more attention. And since that night, our awareness uh, grew a little bit more and more every day. So we were uh, seeing people with fever coming slowly. And the most important thing is that you have to be prepared and pay attention because this kind, kind of uh, growth is exponential. So differently from you can expect from a normal disaster, I have had to deal with the exponential growth. So you have to be very prepared and uh, ready to step in with all your resources. And then what I saw, I started seeing surges of patients, not so much as in Lombardy, that is near here, they are experiencing 80 patients a day with respiratory distress. That is, uh, hearing is, is, is tough. But I saw that a lot of people coming for the same reason. So uh, shortness of breath, persistent cough, and the percentage, the prevalence of such presentations also grew expone- exponentially. Um, they started to be like five to 10% of our patients. And now it's reached about the 70% or something like that. And it's strange uh-huh. to not seeing anymore so much other concerns. And I don't understand that, but yeah, people are concerned about coming and uh, being infected. Maybe that is the, the question. I still don't know, but in, uh, it's a huge problem of public health because I hope that people at home can 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 stay can stay can be well can stay well and don't have any other issues that we are not seeing anymore. And the third thing I had to deal with is the psychological aspect of this uh, natural disaster, the uh, pandemic. So it's psychologically tiring, and the advice is. To, is to get in touch with the psychological service that can be, can be, can support the staff, the team that is working uh, all around the hospitals and also outside, because it's a long, long battle that we are doing, we are undertaking now. So psychological support, team support, team building are fundamental now.
0: Well, Matteo, it's it's interesting that you you're talking about the psychological component within our own organization. We are setting up uh, uh, services to help many people address it. And you mentioned the exponential growth, and <clears throat> unlike disasters, which you also mentioned, it the people taking care of victims of disaster are rarely at risk for that same disaster. And yet, I read an article yesterday <clears throat> that healthcare providers in Italy uh, account for 29% of the diagnosed cases. Are clinicians afraid for themselves and their families?
1: So, what I can say is related to awareness. Maybe in the first phases, is where we are not aware that the virus was already here, so that's the point where maybe um, healthcare workers got infected. Because after the, the end of February, after the first cases, the awareness raised up uh, and uh, skyrocketing, so we started using properly and mm, more judiciously, I would say, the protective uh, personal protective equipment And from that point of view, I would say that we were not, uh, I would say, aware of the problem. But the problem, you know, it was very, very far away. It was like a dream. It was in in China, isolated there. And we were hoping that no uh, other countries, and we were praying that the virus could not kill so many people over there. But... uh, from the morning to the, to the evening, we have rediscovered that the virus was already here. So that's why, in my opinion, there is a uh, so high percentage of uh, infected healthcare personnel. Now I hope that there are less contagious, less contagions about, about this aspect of the disease. Families, yes, we are still concerned about Um, transmitting possibly the disease to our families or to our patients but we are using every time PPE and we try to avoid contact. Uh, Fortunately I live alone now so I can be free at home and but I don't see anyone apart uh, by email or video chat to reduce possible transmission. And I know that our other colleagues moved from their home to other apartments or um, people are being so kind and that are offering, for example, hotel rooms nearby the, the hospitals for the um, healthcare personnel to stay there and live there until the emergency is finished not not go home and potentially transmit the disease. To their family. But otherwise, there are more other people that are not, uh, doing something like that. They just have a strict measures before going out, uh, the hospital. So basically, we, none of us, uh, no one is going home with the scrubs, um, and no one enters the, 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 the car or commutes using, uh, scrubs from inside the hospital we 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 have uh, ch- we change ourselves and we use some uh wipes to disinfect the, the shoes so basic actions to prevent the spread of from uh, uh, contaminated surfaces from the hospital to the car to the bus the train to our home it's uh it's a basic action
0: i hope we can learn from your lessons and the stresses on your system and people must huge. So I I wonder, you talked about PPE, so I wonder how have you dealt with a real onslaught of patients um, with the availability of some of the basics like PPE, acute bed access, and ventilators? I read yesterday uh, an article where people were using a ventilator on more than one patient. So have you had... Uh, all of the equipment, ventilator, and beds that you need, or have you? What have you done? So basically,
1: at the very beginning, uh, there was an, um, news spreading around about the shortage of PPE, but it was not accurate, at least in my experience here in my region, because otherwise, other hospitals maybe had, um, not stockpiled much of, much of them. But also was here around are very, very well refurbished. So I, I still don't know the answer. Maybe, as I previously said, there was no, no, not the awareness of not so much high. So at the very beginning, the people did not use the PPE judiciously. Uh, now we, we are a little bit relieved because we had stockpiles, a lot of these, so we can manage um, the, a very prolonged epidemic. The, about the, the beds and the, the hospital reconfiguration, yes, it's a, it's a tough problem because when you face a disaster, yeah, you have a sudden increase in need. And then, you know, two or three days later, maybe you are okay. Italy is a disaster-prone country. If you search EMDAT on the web, it's a uh, web repository of uh, disasters that happens every time. And Italy is famous to have floods, for example, or earthquakes. And so we are pretty, pretty used to manage that, but not pandemics. Pandemics are A long, long uh, natural disaster. So you need to reconfigure your hospital. And you have, first of all, you have, with this disease, you have to um, change the destination, uh, repurpose some um, units. For example, in there is a beautiful talk uh, from Roberto Cosentini. And Andrea Duca, that are two doctors from the hospital of Bergamo, and they just changed their emergency department into a big, huge lung disease unit. Uh, Roberto Cosentini is a master of uh, non invasive ventilation, so they were very, very well prepared. They had a lot of staff to manage such a pandemic that affects respiratory. System. So the same here, we managed to reconvert beds into big lung disease units with a lot of uh, oxygen supplies, masks, and whatever it is. And also, about two weeks or three weeks ago, the, the Italian government issued a technical document asking every hospital and health systems around Italy to increase the number of ICU and pulmonology beds just to be prepared for the surge and to accept patients to be non-invasively or invasively intubated. Ventilators, of course, are gold right now. So I was pretty interested in the article that, um, that is going around uh, it was tested only on uh, um, as a basic science and there was no human study around, but I've read it uh, on the uh, blog of emergency medicine and it's pretty interesting to see how to manage more than one patient with uh, one ventilator. I, I've read about uh, four patients, for example, so it could be great but it's not so easy i think that uh, you have to select patient for that and also patients maybe needs to be sedated so um i would advise that only in bad bad crisis only in the case of bad bad crisis
0: so certainly i agree with you the information is <clears throat> is pretty early, um, and yet because there are times that we don't have everything that we need and some <clears throat> institutions and clinicians are overwhelmed, there are some decisions and choices that have to be made. And so I, I wonder if you have had to make some particularly difficult choices um, without knowing all of the answers. Could you describe one of those situations?
1: Yeah, um, you know, as an emergency physician, I feel that every time I have to make proper decisions. In this situation, the first time I started seeing patients uh, less critical or a little bit more critical, I'm starting feeling like unprepared to something like that, mm, I mean, not uh, medically, not on the clinical aspect, but from the psychological, from the human aspect of the management, because um, usually we we apply the measure, the um, critical care um, reasoning to, to say, okay, this patient will benefit from intubation or non-invasive ventilation, or we, we can choose with family or something like that. It happens every day, but every day or every two or three shifts, I can say. But this time it's happening every day, every shift, like mm, three, four, five times every shift has to make such decisions. And it's very, very tough because you have to choose which patient with, will benefit from um, a precise therapy. So it's not like uh, I was reading on the web, uh, people was talking about, yeah, in Italy they are triaging people and they are choosing who will live, who will die. It's not this perspective. It's, it's like basically uh, as uh, as we We did every time, but simply now it it happens very, very, very frequently, and this leads us to have less resources. So it's from a human point of view, it's very stressing. The first time I did that, I felt very, very uh, unprepared. I felt um, as I can say, mm, frustrated. The frustration I felt going home. Of not having the possibility to say, okay, let's, let's try, let's try at least. But at that time, you have to be, uh, very precise and say, no, we are not, we are not going anywhere here. So, uh, let's try with non-invasive ventilation and let's see. And otherwise it's, uh, it's okay. It's done. And yeah, but I, I've learned as a young, uh, consultant now, I've learned pretty, pretty fast to, to change the, the, the pace from a normal situation to such situation. It was, yeah, that was my, I, I summarized my feelings about this, this episode, but I'm okay now. For example, it happened that uh, I received two patients. At the same time, red code, respiratory distress. Okay, but one of them were, was in need of immediate, immediate respiratory support. So I gave to patient, let's say patient A, the respiratory support with non-invasive ventilation, and the other one, I just uh, keep starting the normal uh, physical exam and the lung ultrasound, whatever it was. Because it was, it was not so bad, but suddenly it, patient B started to be um, to be to worsen, and I said, "Okay, I need another ventilator in the dirty, in the contaminated area." So I I got one ventilator from the outside, and for that moment that we were reproposing our emergency department. Uh, one ventilator was already away with a critical patient or uh, uh, trauma patient, and the other one was occupied on uh, on an ambulance, and we had one ventilator left. So at that very moment, I I felt to be very frustrated because I say, okay, and now if someone steps in needing invasive or non-invasive ventilation. What I will do? I will have to use my last ventilator, and so on. The next one. So that at that very moment, I felt to be very, very little in the front of such a pandemic. And at that moment, arrived a patient, a patient, a patient C that unfortunately was in cardiac arrest. But anyway, we did the, the most of. Of us, it, it was not COVID patient, so he didn't need at the end invasive ventilation, of course, but I was on, on the, on the edge to say, okay, we are quite running out of resources, but it was a, a very, very early phase. So from that moment on, we, we got more resources. We managed to have more ventilators and so on. So it was just the, the beginning. But it was very, very frustrating to me to uh, reaching the edge of resources.
0: I'm sure it is. And it's really a a good lesson for us in uh, New York. Uh, As I look at New York, there are only five countries in the world that have more than cases than the state of New York and the governor of New York continues to say that we don't have enough resources, including ventilators uh, to take care of the patients that we are now anticipating will come into our emergency departments and hospitals. Um, It sounds like you've uh, been able to uh, address that uh, in in your facility and the local facilities by having those resources. Can you tell us what other uh, things that you have learned that can help us as our numbers and the numbers uh, across the world um, have so dramatically increased and so quickly?
1: In my little experience, I can say that the most important thing is to create a team inside the hospitals as the base of search Uh, capacity increase so uh, the most important stuff is to to,
0: uh,
1: non-critical services make a reduction in those services and just choose and report other areas like uh, IQs or step-down units just reduce the numbers of and non-urgent surgeries, for example, and recycle those rooms, those ventilators. Um, use, for example, ventilators from ambulances if you don't need them. So, you know, it's a, a, a step-up approach. So the more, um, the more you get, the more you feel relieved. But, you know, when you have to manage a lot of people, a surge of patients, you have also to take into account the space and the the staff, so the the 3S approach of the disaster medicine. Spaces, you can increase outside of the hospital uh, spaces and use, for example, hotels and other establishments around the hospitals. For example, in Milan, They uh, used an exposition hall to create an ICU, a completely new, brand new ICU to to put there all the people, critical people. And they are doing so also in other European countries. And so expand your capacity by using other space around uh, the the hospital or the city. And uh, take into account also the, the staff, you will to protect them as as, as well, so uh, use the PPE judiciously. Uh, what I mean is that you can stay inside a contaminated area, for example, to take care of people, but in my experience, uh, after four or five hours, you will go mad. Basically, because the pain on your nose, on your head, because of the face shield or whatever it is, the heat, you will go. You, your, your mind, you will go mad, and <laughs> and along with your mind, also your clinical reasoning. So, uh, try to reconfigure the shift and also the um, the work, the allocation of the work, uh, the the tasks as well. To try to um, get a team, a very very well prepared team, to to change um, uh, properly inside the contaminated area, in my opinion, not it's a it's a mistake to enter, go inside and outside, downing and doffing every 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 five minutes because otherwise you will go you will run out of so, just choose, for example, uh, I stay inside there for three, four, five hours, and then we will make, we will change. Okay. So, that's a uh, practical suggestions apart from the structure and stuff, other, uh, other suggestions I can, I can give you. The other side of the coin is not mm, for us, for a clinical perspective, but it is for a public health perspective. The public health measures are very, very important to contain the, the curve as it's, it's, uh, it's known by everyone. Also, my grandma told me about the flattening the curve. So, I say, oh, grandma, you are pretty well informed. But <laughs> eating at home and don't go anywhere sheltering in place um, using the basics Of social distancing, isolation, and and um, hand washing, and protective protecting your mouth and mouth and nose with a simple mask or scarf or whatever you want are simple steps to prevent the spread of the disease. So that's the the maybe the most important thing we have learned since the nineteenth century. From the cholera, the, the, the outbreaks of the past, we have studied on the books and now we have to give the example to the people to go there and inform people also on social media, on Twitter. As a uh, healthcare professionals, we have to be prepared and also and also culturally pre- prepared to inform people. People informed will feel more calm and will will we, we feel relieved from the stress of not knowing what's happening out there.
0: Matteo, this is really, really good information. Um, I think we've, uh, in the US, tried to follow the example of what's going on in Milan and um, in New York City, the Javits Center is being reconfigured to have four internal acute hospitals built inside, just as you have been describing. We, because we have no choice, have to use our PPE judiciously because we don't have that much of it here yet. We're trying to get more. Um Something you said that I have not heard described very often, and I think it's really important, which is to uh, reconfigure shifts and work allocations. So, one, you're not going in and out every few minutes donning and doffing protective equipment, and two, that you're not in there for six eight ten hours a day it's just it's too difficult too much so i i I think that's really helpful to us i hope that we listen to your public health uh, advice i know that one of our state governors has said we should all uh, go out um, be among each other and let's just Get the uh, people infected and over it um, because he wants the economy to be uh, to come back and i I, th- I think most people think is not concerned about the effect on on people matteo um do you have any final words or message that you'd like to share with us?
1: yeah, I would say that um, basically I, I can re- remember the words used by other colleagues and uh, one most important thing that, uh, is that we have to rely on the group, on the team. So team building and friendships and talking to people around us and it's helpful. So don't shelter in your mind. Don't go home and think about all the day and the stressful things. Talk. Talk with your friends, with your team members, with your chief, or whoever it is, but talk and let the the, the staff go out to feel relieved and less stressed. And most important, take into account that you have to um, to stay at home, quiet. Take advantage of the pauses you will, the free days you will have from work to relax and recharge, because it's a long, long battle. We are, as I can say, an army, a global army, army now against uh, the unknown, against a pandemic. But it, it, it will be a long, long war. We are all together, and the second uh, message is to reuse the words of uh, Roberto Cosentini, who is a master in emergency medicine here around in Italy. He said, "We we were trained to do that, so let's do our job, and we will get through it. In whatever it is, it's tough. Oh, that's okay, but we will make it. We will make it to the end." Together, and we will make it to
0: the end. It's brilliant. This has been enormously valuable. Mateo, there's a definition of a word that perfectly describes you and what you're doing. And that definition is someone who gives of himself, often putting his own life at great risk for the greater good of others. And that word is Hero. Not only are you providing heroic care in Italy and daily confronting a very dangerous situation but also by sharing this information with us and others you are helping all of us. Thank you Matteo.
1: It's a pleasure for me, but now I have to go because I have my next night shift. So the battle the battle is coming.
0: <laughs> the battle does continue. <clears throat> For those of you who are listening, thank you for joining us on this Beyond Clinical Medicine podcast with Dr. Matteo Paganini. I also would like to thank Lance McCluskey, the organizer and manager, perhaps the Pied Piper of this program, and Gene Priest, the audio magician behind the curtain whose technological savvy makes all of this work. If you have any questions about this topic or suggestions for other topics, please contact contact us at beyondclinicalmedicine.org. Thank you.